CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Friday, everybody. It's time for Options Action. Here's what we've got on the show tonight. That entire sector kicks up earnings season next week. But Dan Nathan says there's only one name you need to concentrate on. Plus, Carter Worth explains why you might want to be wary of consumers' basic necessities. Finally, Mike Coe's plan to Netflix and chill. No, literally. He lays out a way to keep your cool going into earnings binge next week. It's time to risk less and make more. Options Action starts now. Let's get right to it. A slew of big bank earnings on deck next week. Names like Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, and Citigroup report on Tuesday, following, followed by results from Bank of America and Morgan Stanley later in the week. Financials up more than 17% this year, still underperforming the broader market. But one of our traders is betting on a big bounce for one name when it reports. So let's get in the money right now. And Dan, what, what are you looking at? Well, listen, I think regular viewers of this network probably know that I'm not particularly constructive on bank stocks here. I do not like the way the investment banks act. I don't like the way that some of the other money centers act. But I do like the way that J.P. Morgan has acted. I've routinely said that if you have to buy a bank, I would just buy J.P. Morgan, and you buy it on dips. But here's the thing. We have a two-year chart of J.P. Morgan. This thing has been routinely rejected between 119 and 120, dating back to um, you know early 2018, and it's having, obviously, some, some trouble there. That being said, it's the only major bank on the planet that has made a new high since the financial crisis, and it's obviously best of breed. So when you think about what's going on this week... We just had a chance where maybe we see the yield curve steepen a little bit. Maybe we see some of the economic data changing a little bit, or maybe at least sentiment as it relates to um, trade deal. Maybe the Brexit situation got better. If all that stuff interests you and you're thinking about J.P. Morgan and the guidance that they give when they report October 15th before the opening, and you say, well, maybe they have the opportunity to actually give better guidance than maybe what downbeat investors are thinking, then this is a name that you may want to set up to own with defined risk over the next couple months. That chart right there is implied volatility, the price of options, pretty reasonable, well below or kind of in line-ish with the one-year average as far as option prices are concerned. And I think that yeah, focus on earnings. You know, the implied move is about $3.60. Um, you know, that's about a little more than the stock has moved over the last four quarters. This is really not an earnings trade. I would just look out to December expiration. If you want to get some long exposure, you want to define your risk, you look at that 120 level. That is the level, the big technical level. I'll let Carter speak to it. I don't know if he agrees or not. But if all those things happen and we get a rally at the end of the year, you're going to want to own long exposure in J.P. Morgan. You could buy the December 120 calls for three bucks when the stock was trading at 117 and that's about two percent of the stock price for break even up about four and a half five percent from current levels um to me i like the risk reward there but you have to kind of be set or have the mindset that this is going to lead financials higher it's going to go with the market if we get a breakout and you're going to have a meaningful move from that 120 level so you know defining your risk about two and a half percent of the stock price you like this trade i do like the trade a couple of reasons why i like it first thing i would say is take a look back a year where jp morgan started at the beginning of december 2018 and what followed okay we saw about a 20 point decline from probably right around 112 113 down to the low 90s so you're looking at a near 20 percent decline in the course of less than a month 
Here we have a situation where the stock is essentially at the same place that it was at the beginning of last December 2018. Obviously, we had some good news today. This is not a hugely expensive stock. On a tangible book basis, one could argue that it is, but relative to itself, it isn't terribly. You're risking less than 3% of the current stock price to make a bullish bet. Here's the thing that we've observed over the course of the last couple of weeks, and that is that options prices have been very fair. If you're making directional bets, whether it's to the upside or to the downside, Options have not been massively overpriced. I've been probably more active in my day-to-day trading lately uh, using long options than I have been in a long time. We like to do credit spreads. We like to do things like that where you're collecting premium when we can. But this is a situation where the options are cheap enough that I think if you're inclined to make a directional bet, keep it simple. I mean, it's a very important technical level, as Dan cited, and yet it's been rejected there. This is now a repeated thing. And and also, it actually broke out slightly uh, two months ago and made an all-time high and then really reversed, pivoted, and collapsed. So it's not quite the technical, for instance, we just looked at Apple, right? That's that's a different circumstance, at least by my work. The issue is this. If rates really do go higher, this is not one of the most rate-sensitive banks. So, yes, it will go higher if that happens, but there are other banks that are more sensitive uh, to a spike in rates. Either way, it's a choice of picking best in class, which is obviously partly what you're doing, or you double back and you pick worst in class, like Wells Fargo, and say, I want to go after that one for a catch-up. Either technique is reasonable. Yeah, so I would just say this, is that obviously rates kind of finding a little bit near-term bottom. What did they get, like 155 or something, the yeah. 10-year Treasury yield, and here we are now, you know, 20 bips higher. Um, that obviously caused this group to catch a little bit of a bid, and obviously we know that banks are the lifeblood of the economy. And so if all this stuff is coming together, I'm not saying it's all coming together, but this is the one you want to own. This is the one you want to define your risk. It's been trading between 105 and basically 120. That's a big range. That's why you want to define your risk to a couple percent of the stock price. All right, from the big banks to the surging state, the XLP ETF that tracks the space is up more than 20% this year as defensive stocks continue to play offense. But heading into the end of the year, the chartmaster says there are signs that the consumer trade is starting to crumble. So, Carter, why don't you head on over to the plasma and show us. Right. So, there, well, there are a lot, there's a lot going on. We know this is, uh, is the ultimate safety trade along with utilities, and utilities accomplished something that's only happened three times up 10 weeks in a row, and they got murdered this week. Uh, staples are also equally extended, and the bet here is that these two are about to give way. So the sector overall, not that big in the S&P at 8%. It's 33 stocks, just to go through the sort of particulars, at $2.2 trillion. The top five really dominate. He, I mean, names, they're household names. You see them all here. 16% for Procter, that's the big one. But 11, 10, 9, and 5 all adds up to about 36%. So while it's 33 stocks, a third of it is in just uh, a handful of names. But let's look at the actual uh, ETF. So this is the XLP. It captures the entire sector. And here is, on the bottom, relative performance to the S&P 500. And what, what, what jumps out to me is the following, that we have been in a perfect uptrend. And yet, if I draw lines here, when we made the new high here, we did not make a relative high. And so you have something of a double top. That's a negative circumstance. I think you're getting the divergence to suggest this is going to finally break trend and ultimately uh, give back a lot of ground. So here it is in its entirety and very precise, which is so often the case. But notice we're compressing. We're not quite getting the bounce. That often gives way to that. It has a bit of a stall. Let's look at a few other uh, iterations and then go from there. Now, this is going back to 2014, and this is that circumstance over the past 
12 months. Again, steep, uncorrected. A few other uh, ways to look at it. So think about how orderly this has been. That's the exact same chart, but just look at the advanced decline, advanced decline. A big up leg, 22, and then we give back 14. A big up leg, 31, then we give back 10. A big up leg, 16, we give back 7. Up 13, give back 17. Up 19, give back 14. Up 30, well, it's like paint by color. Yeah. If you follow the schematic, the next directional move is that. And I think that's what's coming. I want to fade XLP, uh, making the bet that its run is at an end. All right, Carter, come back on over. Mike, given what Carter said, what's the trade? Yeah, I mean, so we were just talking about it before. Options are relatively fairly priced here. Some of the constituents of XLP as an ETF, like its leading one, Procter & Gamble, are not fairly priced. And we're talking about a stock that's trading 30 times earnings with no revenue growth whatsoever. There are better places to be long equities in the market than stocks like that. The thing I would point out, though, is that because staples are typically not that volatile, because they tend to move in an orderly fashion, rather than just buying at the money puts, I think we can use a put spread here, cut back on the cost a little bit. I was specifically looking at the January 61.56 put spread. You could spend $1.80 for the 61 strike puts when I was looking at that earlier today and sell the 56s against it for $0.55. Net-net, you're spending $1.25 for a $5 wide spread. And take a look at the level that we're looking at here on that short put, the 56 strike. The last time XLP was anywhere close to that level was the tail end of May. Uh, So we're looking at a period going back almost half a year. This thing is going to expire in three months' time. So really what we're talking about is not just which direction we think it's going to go and also trying to mitigate the cost, but also how much magnitude do we really think that we can possibly get within the amount of time that we have between now and the expiration of the trade. That would represent a near you know, 10% decline, 7 to 10, I think, is probably as much as we could expect in the amount of time that we're giving for this one. Yeah, and I think you guys just put this all together really nicely. I mean, Carter's charts show you that every few months you get a pullback of that magnitude in the space, and every time that we get just a little higher, like we are now, from that prior high before that other pullback, the whole group gets more expensive because we're not seeing earnings growth, but we're seeing the price appreciate. So the fact that Mike has a $5 wide put spread that gives him three months that's a little bit in the money and costs a little more than a buck, I just, that, that's a great risk reward, you know, and I don't really see any of the names, the names specifically like Proctor that make up a good bit of this uh, ETF, just having some idiosyncratic move to the upside and dragging this whole group up. So I like the technical setup and I, and I do like the, the put spread. You know, Carter, when you're going through this chart of the XLP, it reminded me of the chart that you highlighted earlier this week on the utilities. Same sort of It's the same pattern. sort of uh, behavioral mm-hmm. uh, element, right? The money clustering into a very defensive thing uh, because of a, a high fear of headlines like the good or bad that might be coming. But I would also point out that Procter is the big weight, which you saw there at 16%. If you look at some of the others, Clorox, Church and Dwight, Colgate, they've all started to roll. And so if Procter rolls, the sector rolls. To the big story of the day now, President Trump says the U.S. has struck a very substantial phase one trade deal with China. Here's what we know. A tariff increase will not go into effect on Tuesday. Huawei will be dealt with Swiss separately. And the deal is not yet written, just agreed upon in principle. And we're getting new information out of the White House at this hour. Our own Eamon Javers just asked President Trump about the trade agreement moments ago. The farmers are going to be $50 billion worth of purchase. The most they've ever done was 16. So the farmers in Iowa, Nebraska, and all of these other great states that I love and that obviously like me a lot too, they're going to have to buy more land fast and bigger tractors. 
What's interesting is that Eamon also asked what, would the, what was the most important thing out of this agreement, the phase one, and Trump highlighted the ag purchases once again, which was never a centerpiece no, of, well, of I the mean, trade negotiations. I mean, to be frank, he put the tariffs in place and, you know, took in the tens of billions of dollars, and then they took him in. It was at the farmer's behest, and then they basically had to turn around and give the money back to the, the, the farmers in aid. So they've already, I think, given out $28 billion in aid. I mean, is it good? Yeah. But, uh, you know, they were buying the stuff before, before they put the tariffs. Listen, at the end of the day, it's not bad news, okay? But this was all kind of self-inflicted, and we really need to get that IP stuff to make it all worthwhile. That's the most important thing. All right, we've got much more ahead on Options Action. Here's what's coming up next. Streaming wars kicking into high gear as Netflix prepares to report earnings next week. And Mike Coe is laying out a way to make money if the stock goes up or down. We've seen stranger things before. Plus... Calling all options action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at options action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when options action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Don't look now. Netflix is up 5% since Monday, but the streaming giant is far from out of the woods. Last quarter was a disaster for Netflix as investors started to sweat over whether the company would keep up with competition. But if you think Netflix could flip the script when it reports next week, Mike has a way for you to play it on the cheap. He's stage left over at the plasma with his call to action. Mike. Yeah, so now we're going to talk a little bit about why we would buy a calendar put spread. And, you know, one of the things I would do is maybe even just omit the put part, because when you buy a calendar spread, what you're essentially betting is that the move is not going to be that big. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about 10% or a little bit more by the end of the week after they report earnings. That's considerably higher than about the 5.6% or so that they had averaged in the seven quarters leading up to the last one. It is all because of that last one, where they fell out of bed by more than 10% on disappointing results. The thing is that a lot of the things about Netflix that were true then remain true now. They do have more competition, although it does seem like they're going to be getting along maybe and they can coexist with the Disneys of the world, the Apple TVs of the world. They continue to see significant cash burn. Still, I'm kind of thinking that this is a situation where maybe on this results, we're not going to get the kind of disappointment that we did before. We can take a look and see the kind of distress that the stock has obviously had since its peak. This area right here represents... You know, basically an opportunity. I think maybe this could basically be the washout. Over here is what we are looking at. This is where we saw that last earnings result. I don't think we're going to see something quite that big this time. So how do you put this trade on? Very simply, I was just looking out at the October-January 280 put spread. And like I said, this doesn't have to be puts. If you traded the 290 call spread, it would work out much the same way. The idea here is that you're selling the nearer-dated option... In this case, the 280 puts in, expiring in October for 12 and a half bucks, buying the Januarys for 2150. Net net, I'm spending the equivalent of nine dollars a share, nine hundred dollars a contract. And the idea here is that if the stock basically does one of these things, this put is going to expire worthless. I'm still going to own that one. That won't decline by as much. And of course, I'm limiting my risk to the amount of premium that I'm spending. So. 
even though this looks like an outright bearish trade, what it really is is a trade that's betting that the move is going to be less than 10%. And when you see these very high implied moves and you think that some of the bad news might already be baked into the cake, this is the way you want to make that trade. Yeah, it certainly seems like some of it might be baked into the cake already, Dan, given the performance. Yeah, and the stock kind of found a bottom recently. Um, just I think that a lot of the fundamental headwinds have become really well known here. A lot of their competitors have had some really good competitive announcements. And it, prior to that, it was just all Netflix all the time. And so, you know, at the end of the day, I think the likelihood of them seeing the sort of North American sub decline that they saw last quarter that caused that 10% drop and then the subsequent decline for two months, I think is not likely. And I think Mike's trade isolating a less than expected move makes some sense here. That being said, if they do guide down and miss North American subs again, that stock's going back to the December lows. It's just that simple. Yeah. Carter, what I do mean, you right, think? This, of all the sort of marquee super cap names that are so prominent, this is the worst performing one in the summer. I mean, you're talking about dropping from, well, 35 percent from its July peak, 380 to 250. And this little bounce, in a way, I think it removes some of the potential for further bounce. So, I'm inclined to bet against it and bet that because you had that earnings gap and drop last time, you get a second one. Yeah, this is one of the marquee names that's had such a big drawdown simply because unlike some of the others, you know, from a valuation perspective, it certainly was, you know, basically ahead of the race. Mm -hmm. I mean, highest on price to earnings. It is the one where a lot of other marquee names didn't have negative cash flow. This one does. It seems to continue to pile up. And there are some questions also about the business model that we're talking about here. The content costs are high. And whether or not you slap the same kinds of valuations on that type of business that you do on the other portions of their business still remains in considerable question. But it has had this discount. There's a lot of bad news baked in the cake. We're limiting our risk. And the options market is baking in a 10% move. So if we get a 10% move, this will probably be a scratch anyway. Up next, Nike's sprinting out to new all-time highs, but one of our traders says the sportswear giant might be about to trip up. We'll tell you why. Options Action's back right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look back at one of our open trades. Now, back in September, Mike said Nike might be running toward a spell on the bench uh, following its earnings report. So we thought we'd roll the instant replay and take a very special look back. On Options Action, it's how we just do it. Risk less so you can make more. And that's what Mike did with his bearish trade on Nike. Mike thought Nike's shares would get tripped up heading into earnings. The stock is basically right there. We're just under those all-time highs. So we're going into earnings. Three things can happen. It can either break out to new highs. It can sit essentially right here and struggle to make it anywhere. Or it could potentially go a little bit lower. Hmm, Mike thought. Let's do it. I'll put on a short-dated put calendar spread. Here's how it works. Mike sold the September 27 weekly 87.5 put for $2.10. Then, Mike bought the October weekly 87.5 put for $2.55. That gave Mike a 45-cent debit. Now, the main idea was that if earnings turned out to be a non-event, Mike would own those longer-dated put options at a very low price. But Nike earnings were indeed an event. The company beating expectations 
and the stock jumping more than 5% in after-hours trading on the news, topping its previous all-time high of $90. With the first leg of the trade expiring in the green, what's Mike's next play? This trade actually was a double on Wednesday after earnings, and so some of you may have already taken it off. This, the put that we still own is actually worth slightly more than we actually put the spread on for initially. I kind of feel like it's peaked out here, and so I'm inclined to maybe put on a vertical put spread out a little further. So, did Mike end up bouncing out of Nike? Let's find out. Mike, what are you doing with Nike? Yeah, so it was interesting. When we were t- taking that initial look back, that was on a Friday. The following Monday, you could actually have sold just that outright put at a profit. We sent out a tweet at that time, so if you don't follow us on Twitter, you absolutely should, to take the profits then because it definitely looked like Nike had sort of bought, you know, that was, that was it. I mean, it was kind of off to the races, and I didn't really want to initiate a new bearish bet there. Well, this is the same setup that is Apple and prospectively J.P. Morgan, meaning if you have a stock at well-defined tops at a common level, the more you coil at those highs, the more tension there is ultimately to exceed those highs. Nike broke out, and the way is higher. Yeah, I think his um, analogy to J.P. Morgan and Apple are perfect. And the play with J.P. Morgan is very simple. It breaks out. It holds the breakout, establishes that new range. The fact that Nike has not broken 90 to the downside since that breakout tells you that's that's where your stop is, to the downside, if you're long that thing from here on out. And you should feel comfortable with that level, but not comfortable below it. Yeah. yeah, that's especially true given how the market has behaved no. since that earnings. It's not like it's, it was not all rosy like it was today, yeah. for sure. <laughs> yep. Up next, final call from the options pits. Time for the final call. Carter Braxnorth. The S&P 500 consumer staples sector has come a long way. Use XLP to hedge or XLP to go short. Yeah, XLK, those, the stocks and the ETF, too expensive. I want to be short those things, but the options are not too expensive, so I'm using put spreads there. Dan Nathan. Yeah, just uh, you know, on the J.P. Morgan, it did not close particularly well. You may have a better opportunity to buy calls in that thing, but if you want to be constructive on the bank, stick with J.P. Morgan and find your risk. All right, that does it for us here on Options Action. See us back here next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.